If you haven't had your fill of pen talk for 2018, come and visit us at the Institute. That's right, it's the nib section. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, we are the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Uh, here to talk with you, it's our 2018 uh, wrap-up show. We are down to the last drops in the ink chamber that is 2018, pushed on by the inexorable piston of time. <laughs> uh, with that, I'm going to introduce uh, the rest of our guests who uh, you may have seen, um, not seen, this is a podcast, uh, but you may have heard us uh, in a prior episode. Since we're recording them on the same day, um, I'd like to welcome back our uh, fearless leader, Diana. Hello. Sharon, who is uh, once again lending us her lounge room. Hi, everyone. Sebastian, who is in the corner, giving us the eyes. Uh, Melissa, who is joining us once again. Happy to be here. And Brian. Hello, hello. I'm, I'm like um, half a bottle of wine in. Yeah, so you may have noticed in episode 33 uh, that we had started uh, drinking. Um, it is, we've continued on. Yeah, we mm -hmm. still haven't stopped. How many bottles are we? Third bottle. <laughs> sure. Um, I, and I, I'm sure our energy will reflect that. Uh, but uh, look, guys, it's, uh, I think, uh, our end of year Q&A. Yeah, we're celebrating Christmas early, thanks to the fact that I will be traveling during most of December. So we are pre-recording these episodes in November. What are we all writing with today? Who would like to go first? I will, because if I wait any longer, I may not be able to pronounce this. <laughs> I have... That is not a reflection on my current state of sobriety. It's a reflection of your generosity when it comes to sparkling wine. Champagne fairy. Champagne for everyone. Mm, yep. Anyway, so I am today writing with a Nagasawa Broske which actually stands for Black Prophet. And so it is a small 19, Sailor 1911 size with a 14K nib, but in ruthenium trim. And yes, you can get a pink senske, which stands for pink century. Ah, pink century, no, yeah. Sense. And then you can get the regular proske, which is profit. Profit. And um, yeah, so this one is pretty interesting that it has a matching converter. So it's a ruthenium plated converter. It's got a zoom nib on it. I currently use it as a highlighter because it's um, inked with, what's that? Sailor Gentle Kin Mokuse. Yeah, yeah, the um, yellow one. The orangey. yellow one. Yeah, it's great pen, really nice size. Not an everyday writer. Like I said, I use it for highlighting. You know what you should get for highlighting? What? You should either use your Naginata medium mm -hmm. uh, because or it's basically, cross. yeah, it's basically an architect, a very fat architect, mm -hmm. or get a Aurora calligraphy, Aurora calligraphy F or calligraphy M. That's right. Well, if someone, <coughs> Diana, hadn't bought all the calligraphy nibs from this one store in Hong Kong that I was going to get my calligraphy nib from, maybe today I'd be talking about me using my new Sun Moon Lake with calligraphy nib. But I no. literally, I literally went into the store and said, show me all your Aurora calligraphy nibs. And after I'd already bought them, I showed Sharon the remaining photos. <laughs> yeah, so because, you know, sharing is caring and I know Diana cares so much, she showed me the remnants. <laughs> First dibs, come it's on. It's like she never even gave you those eight petites. 
<laughs> Too late, Sharon. <laughs> uh, Diana, what are you writing with today? And uh, Oh, okay. I'm to, really excited about uh, this one. Not to add insult to injury, so it's not one of those auroras. It's not one of those auroras. It is something that I've mentioned a couple of times on the, epi- uh, on the podcast. It's a nib fitted onto a body that it was originally not intended for. So it is, in its own way, a Frankenpen. Um, the body, <laughs> Sharon's going boo. Um, the body is a Opus 88 demonstrator, which is this massive pen. It's about the size of a custom Arushi from Pilot. It's like um, a baton. Almost. It's larger than a King of Pens Ebonite, um, but it's it's actually it feels really nice. It's not too heavy. It is, however, a little bit too wide for my hands. But I will forgive that because it, it's the right size body to fit my Regalia Writing Lab's Crown Epilogue by Ralph Reyes. Uh, Ralph was really lovely and sent me this nib to try out a couple of months ago. Um, and it's been languishing because I didn't have a body that would fit a number six sized Yovo nib unit. Now it's finally mounted. It's finally found its home. And I'm really having fun with this. It's a three layered nib so it's like three nibs stacked on top of each other with a it's actually four no it's the the, decorational crown yes there's a crown piece on top which is i think meant to mimic the ink tab on the sailor um, nagahara nibs which is meant to um, increase ink flow exactly um but on this i think it's more decorative than anything else it looks great it looks Um, like a piece of jewelry it's, I think, inspired by the Concord nibs from Sailor in that when you're holding it the right way around, it writes with a very fine, like an extra fine point. And when you write it with it upside down, it's got a massive, I so don't know what you call so it. It's, it's like a triple a cross Concord. <laughs> yes. It looks like a pangolin, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or like a falcon. It literally, from the side, it looks like a bird of prey. Just tri- tripled up, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the nib, it's turned downwards. Um, it's a very fat, broad nib. It gushes. Well, it doesn't gush. It's actually quite a controlled flow of ink. And I've been comparing this with my actual King Eagle from Sailor, which is like this nib, but upside down, if that makes any sense. They're both really, really fat nibs um, when you write with them. But what I have to say about Ralph Reyes's The Crown Epilogue is that while the nib is great, I think it really needs a specific type of pen and feed to keep up with the ink flow because I, I did some tests with it and um, when you write for longer than a couple of lines, the ink flow does not keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with my king of pen ebonite with the king eagle on it i can just keep on writing and writing and writing it will never dry it will never run dry unless the converter's out of ink but um i don't know if it's the operation of the eyedropper on the opus 88 or the maybe the restrictive flow of the feed or maybe the breather hole as well maybe but I think there are there is certainly room for improvement because if you do try to write with it for an extended length of time, it will run visibly dry of ink. So I'll post some photos of that. But I definitely encourage you to give it a go. It's very, very interesting work. And I think I'm really excited to see what else Ralph comes up with. And thematically behind the scenes, it looks like you've filled it with wine. It is filled with Yamabudo. Yeah. It looks great. <laughs> 
Uh, Melissa, what are, what are you writing with today? Um, so I'm going with something that was an impulse purchase. It was a Caran d'Ache Ecuador extra small couture in rose gold decorated with Swarovski crystals. Oh, it's is that the one that can fall off at any time? No, they won't fall off. <laughs> it's very sparkly and in my mind it does go with a the Christmas theme. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, decorative. Very uh, tinselly ornamental like kind of crystal. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. What about you, Brian? What have, what have you got for us today? I was going to write with something else today, but since today is a really gorgeous sunny day, I thought I might go with the Omas Milord Arco that I haven't been using enough because there is a ban on other than blue and black inks in the office. So, so I've been um, not using this pen for quite some time. Uh, shout out to Jim New that's been wanting an Arco for quite some time. Get your life priorities set straight. Um, it's filled with Riku Cha from Sailor Gentle, and yes, it's not blue, so I haven't been using it a lot at the office. Th- those of you uh, that uh, were listening to the previous episode, um, you know I have, I have recently mourned my uh, uh, Omas Vodka Lemon, uh, which has gone awry uh, somewhere in the Sydney public transport system. Uh, if you do see it floating around, uh, you know, perhaps encourage its way back to me. But uh, in the meantime, I have... Um, I have uh, a pair of pens which I've used to, to uh, help mourn uh, my lost uh, Omas. Um, <laughs> which I like think have been featured pens. on your Instagram recently. They, they have been. Uh, they are a pair of uh, Aurora 88s. Uh, one which was easier to find and is the uh, Aurora 88 Minerali Demonstrator in Amber, uh, where the end caps are a, um, made of the uh, Sole resin. Uh, and that one I've got a BB in. And uh, it is my new holder of the yellow inks uh, that my vodka lemon was. Uh, And I do have a replacement. This one was harder to find, uh, but I would love to give a shout out to Jen from Hawaii uh, for parting with hers uh, because she had it but wasn't using it and wanted to see it uh, go to someone who would use it more regularly. Uh, It is an Aurora 88 Sole uh, with a medium nib. And between the two of them, I think I have a full pen of uh, the Sole material. Between the two 88s, I, the, uh, I could swap the end caps and, and end up with a, full. with a full pen. Um, but these are my, uh, they're my mourning partners for, for my Omas. And I think either one of them actually costs a significant more than the Omas. <laughs> the BB is a hammerhead nib, right? It is uh, a hammerhead nib. Um, it's a great BB. It's pretty tremendous. I, although I think with the BB, um, I don't know if you found this with your OBB, Diana. I found it dependent upon the angle, the angle and the ink for flow. Okay. Because with my drier, uh, with my drier inks, I, I would sometimes get a bit of a hard start. Sometimes, but I haven't had it for long enough to to give you a proper judgment. As per our review episode, uh, I'll check back in with you in uh, a couple maybe of months, three months or, or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, it being our end of year Q and A for 2018. Uh, we fielded some questions from our listeners as well as other hosts that we're going to pitch to the panel today. And um, we're going to find out some um, interesting information about the year and uh, what it's been for us uh, pen-wise. The first question uh, is from Therese Brand, who has written to us and said, I'd love to have a better understanding of the different flex nibs versus Waverly slash cursive slash italic, stub or music zoom nibs etc from the different brand pros and cons your own preferences and why for the full on 
in depth of these. I think uh, we've touched on a bit of this in the nibs episode. Episode nine. Yep. On flex nibs, we did an in-depth flex review. And when I say we, I mean Chuck. I did. I did. Um, and I think what we came up with was uh, for pure line variation, the Pilot 912 FA. The size 10 FAs for yep. Pilot. That was the superior flex which uh, had a little bit of difficulty keeping up. I haven't compared that with... uh, I think the things exempt from the test were Franklin Kristoff and the Ralph Reyes. uh, He's had the Crossflex that he's put out, which Mm -hmm. I haven't tried yet. Um, But those, those were the ones that were exempt. I have one flex nib. I think that's sufficient for me. Um, I otherwise am quite a big fan of cursive italics and stubs uh, for regular usage. I found zoom nibs to be not as satisfying for line variation as, say, a uh, Naginata type or a or the uh, recent uh, Aurora calligraphy. I'm going to go back to basics for a little bit and talk a little bit about what I consider to be the two underlying degrees of variation that underlying these nibs. One is like natural variation and one is variation when you press and apply pressure. Right. Um, Natural variation I consider to be determined by the actual shape of the tipping. Oh, so like an inherent characteristic of the nib shape. Yes. So the the shape, the shape of the tipping on the nib. So, so when I talk about natural variation, that is like a stub, it's a cursive italic, it's an architect, it's a grind on the nib that gives you different line widths depending on the angle that you write with or that you hold the nib things like that and then flex is a variation that is created when you actually apply pressure to the nib and that's caused by time splitting apart it's caused by the nib lifting off the feed and things like that um i don't think you can ever have these two in concert actually no yeah you can have a flexi style that's true yeah i've seen that and flexi music nibs as well although they have trouble with ink flow. But generally, you don't see these two in the same nib. Yeah, because you only really need um, line variation one way or the other, either with pressure or with the cut of the nib. So when we talk about natural line variation and you think about the shape of the tipping, if you can imagine it, if you can imagine the shape of tipping on a nib, it's probably been done in some way or form. And it depends on... so. When you talk about stubs and italics and music nibs, usually what you have is a broader line going downwards on the downward stroke and a narrower line being created on the horizontal stroke. And when you have an architect-like nib, it's the exact opposite. So you have a broader line width going horizontally and a narrower line going vertically. You mean when you're drawing or on the actual nib? On the actual paper. Okay. We don't own many oblique nibs between us, unfortunately. But we can, um, we have a broad range of stubs, italic and musics and various naginata and architect nibs between us. So we can probably post some writing samples of those to show you how that explains the different types of line variation you'll get better than us trying to explain this over a podcast. But in terms of actual writing experience, going from fatter and smoother to crisper and more sharp on the paper I think you go from like stub to music 
to cursive italic to full italic. Full italic. And then depending on the producer, you get variations of that. And you have a lot of like nib grinders who come up with their own variations of names, which you, you, it's sometimes very hard to judge exactly how sharp and how cursive a grind will be just based on the name. You really have to try many of them out. Absolutely. And particularly with flexes as well, there's a lot of there's a lot of words thrown around. Flex only by name. Super flex. Uh, you know, the Aurora flex is not not very not much. a flex. Yeah. And when it comes to I vintage, you know, the wet noodle. Wet oh noodles are a I big hate one that, that gets I hate thrown. That word. I hate it so much as well. <laughs> it means nothing by this point. I, d- I don't mind dry noodles when I go to a like a Vietnamese <laughs> place. Let's answer the last part of this question. Um, <laughs> what is your own preference and why? Let's start with Melissa. Um, I don't own a lot of uh, flex or italic nibs. So the two that I do have that I do love is a vintage Waterman 12, which does have quite a bit of um, flex in it. If you use a light hand, it's got a really fine line, but you can get that variation if you do apply that pressure. I've used that nib once and it scares me. (laughs) I, I don't consider myself as having a heavy hand, but applying my normal amount of pressure, it just it like the nib it just goes sinks. It. It's like sinking yep. into a feather bed. I, I have no control over it whatsoever. It, it's terrifying. I think I'm going to break it. Didn't you already broke one of a vintage in the past? I believe it. I believe oh, it no, let's not talk about that. I believe it was an Omas. It was an Omas. Extra flexible. Extra, extra into Hannah's hands. Um, and yeah no never but the other thing that I like is I have a pilot VP with um, a few different nib types in it and I got a crisp italic in a fine so some people would say it's wasted but it does provide that just little extra bit of variation which is nice is that the one in your twilight? yes who did the crisp italic? Linda from Independence that's it okay I've been looking at putting a CI on one of my finds and I'd I do agree that you don't get the level of line variation, but when you're used to a fine line, that slight variation is enough. You know that when you have a fine, you're not going to get a triple B line variation. You can't see it, but I'm like nodding my head emphatically. (laughs) Yeah. My personal preference right now is the Aurora CEF. And that that may be because it is the newest uh, in my life, but it's a very, it's very responsive to angle changes. And while you don't get the variation in a regular, say if you're writing a word by itself cursive, you're not getting the regular line variation. But if you're planning the way you're writing out, then you can get quite a bit of variation if you're adjusting in the uh the middle of the word but no it's it's not uh if you're writing normally with it then you're gonna get pretty much a medium to a broad but that that's my personal favorite right now brian i'm gonna get slightly philosophical on this in terms of nib types what do you want to do with your nibs in your life like right with them exactly so in 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 terms of sharon just gave you the one hand clapping answer and it was <laughs> and it was her hand <laughs> clapping against her forearm <laughs> um the thing with what you people say as flex nibs they're not very practical in day-to-day writing right so going with david's answer to most of flex nib uh, questions get a dip nib because you need to write slow and you're not in a rush and blah blah yadida. so if you want line variation on a like a daily basis then i think i would go for a stub nib that's that's my 
take on that. All right. That takes us over to Diana. If you're asking what my own nib preferences are in general, um, I think maybe my favorite kind of nib to write with is a fine or extra fine architect-like nib. So one with a minute bit of line variation that produces a narrow line going down and a slightly wider line horizontally. Um, a lot of nibs fit that description. I have a Mont Blanc EF that writes like that, a Graphon Faber-Castell EF that writes like that. Um, my new Aurora CEF, the calligraphy EF, also produces a similar kind of line variation. And I really like that hint of feedback. I like the line variation and I like the fact that I can use it on any type of paper without having to worry about loads of ink being poured on the page. Sorry, adding to my favorite type of nibs, I usually would go for something that is soft, so it's a bouncy kind of feel because, I don't know, it, it feels like the pen is talking back to you if you are like harassing the pen or if you are not putting enough pressure. Now, you've, you've used this before as well as in like responsive. Yes. You, you, you want something that you, for you, for you character is like you're getting a change in the feedback from um, your, not just the pressure that you're exerting but the sensation you're receiving from the pen yes um i would say that it's giving you less um effort to write it's, it's like if you are wearing a well padded shoes compared to like loafers where it has no padding none whatsoever so the thing that i would actually yes so I would prefer the ones with a lot of support in my pens. That takes us to... Uh, who is next? Me. Sharon's coming in. Keep up. The champagne fairy. Um, so I... <laughs> contrary to most people, I cannot stand stub nibs. Hate them. Just my writing does not suit stub nibs whatsoever. So I hear all of the good recommendations and I've recommended it myself that if you want line variation with a nib, get a stub nib because it's the easiest way to get any type of line variation when you write. My handwriting does not suit stub nibs and therefore I just, I'm not a big fan. I write really slanted, small and hopefully legible. With a stub it's going to be just a single line going horizontally. Yeah. So it doesn't work quite well with a stub for some reason. I think my letters aren't pudgy enough. We don't use the F word around here. So they're not pudgy enough for a stub nib because stub stub nibs were always they came from italic nibs which um, come from a circular or an oval um, lettuce form and my letters aren't very circular or oval like they're much more angular than that so um if I had to pick between a particular type of nib, I would lean more towards a Waverly, which is quite a stiff nib. I actually quite like um, nibs without much responsiveness to them. Actually, um, I don't think we mentioned what a Waverly nib is in the nibs episode, so maybe you could give us a brief rundown on what that is. Sure. Throwing me under the bus here. <laughs> Because I really don't own a Waverly nib. I have tried them before. So a Waverly nib is one where the um, tip of the nib is actually uh, upturned a little bit. It's a pilot designed nib. And it's one where I don't actually so know what the... is it like a triumph? It's uh, not triumph? quite like a triumph, but it's just got a little bit of an upturn to the front. It makes the nib quite a lot uh, smoother. Uh, smoother but also quite rigid. So there's basically no give in a Waverly nib whatsoever. 
Um, I, I actually like that type of nib. I like a very rigid nib if I'm just doing day-to-day writing. But if I had to pick a specialty nib, I'd probably like the uh, soft nibs a l- little bit more. Not so much the flex, but um, soft nibs. I think they Responsive. they give the responsiveness. It's kind of like how, you know, as a kid where you get told, don't jump on a mattress. That's what a soft nib feels like to me, jumping on a mattress. It's just sure. that little thing that you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to press down too hard on it, but when you do, ooh, it's yeah. got a nice responsiveness but to it. But if you're an adult and you sleep on one of those mattresses that's been jumped on and then you wake up and your shoulder's weird and you can't turn <laughs> your head to the left. Um, so and when you have to take care of business occasionally, a nail is more, is more appropriate. Absolutely. And it's also why I don't go for a wet noodle because no one likes sleeping on t- uh, onto a broken in mattress. Right? That's like yeah. sleeping on a mochi. A, oh, oh, what? A mochi. mochi. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's super soft. <laughs> gotcha, like gotcha. It, no, I just had to marry the idea of sleeping on a giant mochi in my head. That <laughs> You're going to break your back doing that. Yeah. Um, I actually really like just your standard hard nibs, the ones that don't have any type of line variation to them because they write as they're supposed to and you can kind of predict what it's going to look like. Um, The other one that people haven't given a lot of love to, which is one that I like quite a lot, is the Zoom nib. And also along with it, the Naginata nibs. I'm a big fan of Naginata nibs as think listeners of the podcast know um the zoom nibs are like the naginata nibs but a little bit more extreme in terms of their line variation depending on the angle that you write with and i tend to write with a low angle so i use zoom nibs as highlighters and they work great for that uh well well that's our sort of basic rundown on the um different nibs uh but we again we do have that uh, episode, episode nine, where we get in depth a little bit more and um, regular listeners of the pod often hear us weigh in on uh, flex and perhaps certain visitors uh, and guests to the pod are uh, less inclined to flex than others. The next question is from a nene yay. Guys, I'm doing my best here. A nene yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I n- 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 I'm just gonna go with the nickname. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, they they ask us uh, what has been your favorite fountain pen related experience, fact or skill you've learned this year. Let's go. Let's go from Sharon. Oh no! I was hoping you'd go with someone else first, so I didn't have to start off. I can go first. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, okay. Um, this sounds like a very new um, experience that I just experienced. Nib twisting. So everyone seems to be concerned about the angle that you write on. I don't know how you ex- um, explain the axes. So when you hold your pens high, like almost vertical, and then going really slant, like Sharon was saying that she prefers, um, that's one angle. But then again, you can also rotate your pens to the left or to the right. So if you ever buy a Nakaya, they actually get you to indicate at what angle do you write, both when you rotate your pen to the left or to the right, as well as up and down. So what you're referring to is the left and right yeah, so rotation. With, with my two years um, life into fountain pens, I did not realize the existence of the nib twisting. I believe pilots would call that your, uh, Y-A-W. What is that? Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's the left and right uh, pitching. That's how they call it. So 
No, I, I think it sky pilots. Yeah, you know. pilot <laughs> planes. Yeah. Um. Anyways, that's that's the experience that I I've I've just learned at the start of this year, and I think everyone should pay more attention to that because that's gonna change uh, writing experience with your fountain pens. Even if you used to hate one pen because it writes scratchy, if you fix your nib twisting, then you might find that you actually love that pen. You have to look inside yourself. I am of the opinion that the pen should suit the writer and not the writer should change the angle of writing yeah, to no, suit I, the I, Amen. I knew, I knew that one of the two of you was going to queue in for this one. No, 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 no. I actually had a very interesting experience and complete sidebar on this. Um, I met with one of uh, the members of Fountain Pen Oceania the other day who was talking about how she was still trying to get used to the Ralph Reyes um, Regalia Writing Labs Crossflex nib. And she was saying that she found it actually quite hard to use and she wasn't getting the most amount of flex. And this actually brought me to thinking about how I write with a flex nib. And the thing that I learned this year was that you can't write with a flex nib and expect to get the most amount of flex if you're writing angled towards the left. So when I, I, I had never actually appreciated this, but when I write with a flex nib, I write quite vertical or even slanted towards the right. So my wrist is in a shape which is extremely uncomfortable and I always think I'm going to break my wrist at any point in time. But I shift my wrist to the right-hand side so that my nib is actually pointed to the right-hand side and I'm getting maximum amount of flex that way. This is why nib holders are angled, right? Correct. Towards the right. Yes, absolutely. And so it's trying to shift my wrist into that particular position to get the maximum amount of flex. And without doing that, flex nibs don't seem to give you that same amount of line variation. I've found that this year to get the maximum um, effect out of a flex nib, you actually have to basically contort your wrist into an extremely uncomfortable position, uh, chancing the fact that you may break your wrist to try and get the right uh, angle. Or you can do the opposite and rotate your paper. I was just going to say, it's like you can turn your page. Well, I, I do both. <laughs> and, you know, the whole wrist movement thingy seems to work better for me. The or, paper? Or get an oblique dip nib. Get an oblique holder. Or, if you're lucky enough, get an oblique pen holder made by Brian himself. I There's your plug. I actually away once quite some time ago. Maybe I'll do one again this I Christmas. have two. Blah, blah, yadi da. That's actually hard to make. I have a snakewood and a purple heart one. Yeah, just in case people were wondering, my purple heart one has a crown on the top of it and has some rotted right on it. Yes. Both of those are really difficult woods to work with. Yes. No, actually, snake wood is actually really pleasant to work with. Really? But they're just insanely pricey. Right. Um, Diana, did you did you weigh in about your favorite uh, experience, uh, fact or skill you've learned this year? Favorite experience? Um, a trip with Leo. That was a very memorable experience. Just stepping like a toe into the Hong Kong the pen scene there it's I felt like you know um, an alien in another world um, and I was both really excited about it and also I wanted to protect it I wanted to shelter it from the greater world the East Asia pen communities they have a lot of collaboration and discussion amongst themselves so Taiwan China Hong Kong and Japan 
Um, I, I don't hear so much about Korea. I'm not sure about the communities over there, but certainly a lot of collaboration, a um, lot of people moving um, across those boundaries. The pen shows are attended by people in that region, but it's like its own ecosystem that's self-sufficient and it's very protective of itself and it likes to keep its distinctiveness. And sometimes I feel like I don't want to talk too much about it because if, you know, um, if the rest of the world with its however many billion population heard about it, we would you know, like people trying to buy bum box and buying out all their stock and preventing actual Japanese people from buying it, something similar would happen. You don't want to blow up the spot as the uh, casual pylons. As I mentioned in last, uh, in the last episode we recorded, um, it's like that favorite restaurant. You don't want to bring too much attention to it because if it becomes too popular, then it might ruin it. It feels like it loses its value. In a uh, yeah, in, in a way. Yeah. That's like me and uh, the song Pony by Genuine. So I would definitely treasure that experience. Um, that tiny bit of the um, Hong Kong pen scene that I saw, I didn't understand half of you know what I saw. Um, and most of the conversation was in Canto, so I didn't understand what was going on. But I saw so many vintage Japanese pens amongst the collectors there. And they're all really, really interesting. And I'm sure you can find very much information about it in English. Maybe if you speak Japanese and read Japanese, there would be a lot more written about it on the internet and in books and so on. But um, it's sort of elusive and very interesting to me. Sure. My one for the year is a sort of two-parter. A, it was Sydney Pen Show, um, being that uh, first pen show. Oh, no. Um, I, I just stole I, I have, have stolen. but my, my B one. like I'll I, I'm, I'm not leaning too heavily on this one so you can get into it Melissa but my B is uh, I had sort of online social media conversational relationships with a couple of the Melbourne people uh, and had never met them and met them at the Sydney Penn show um, and meeting uh, these people and sort of I don't know, uh, sort of instigating a, a a further part of uh, your friendship through meeting in person. Um, as those of you uh, who have ever spoken to someone online for a long time and then uh, linked up with them before have uh, can attest to, uh, it was uh, really interesting and I, I really enjoyed meeting the people that I had previously only spoken to uh, tangential to or um, uh, you know related to the uh, Australian fountain pen groups uh, so that's mine meeting uh, meeting people in other cities via the Sydney pen show which takes me to Melissa yeah so as someone who is more of a lurker and a creeper in the fountain pen community like I watch what you're all doing but I don't often participate the Sydney pen show was one of my favorite experiences because it was nice to see so many people like a visual confirmation of everyone turning out and supporting and loving fountain pens in a way that I can sort of interact with to the level of my comfort yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So it was really good to see. Yeah. I found it, it was a really interesting experience, particularly like A, it was the first one and B, I'd, I'd never been to a pen show. So it was like brand new for me. And I don't know if you had before. No, I haven't been to a pen show before. So that was my, I actually volunteered there as well. Outside of my comfort zone, greeting everyone. <laughs> yeah, Mel and I actually took front desk. Uh, we took the welcome crew, the place where you actually, the ticket 
Yeah, and picking desk. up the, the free bag. And picking yeah, up the goodies. goodie bags and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we had – I had a genuine smile plastered on, which didn't last for the whole of my shift. Um, I don't know about you, Mel. <laughs> I tried, I tried. But it was actually really great to meet everyone at the Sydney Pen Show. And the variety of people who came. Yeah, so some people who literally were walking by or they'd never um, thought that stationery and fountain pens could um, cause such a massive line outside the venue. That was, for me, one of the most amazing and memorable experiences. Yeah, and what I actually loved seeing was like, you know, mother and daughters coming along or families, mm. older people, younger people in groups. There's a big age range at the, at the event. Massive, yeah. absolutely massive. I liked the whispers of all the celebrities who showed up. And by celebrities, I mean there was a YouTuber whose name I've completely blanked on, but he did post a video about the uh, event later on. Yes, which um, I Googled and immediately watched. I I wish I'd said hi to him, but all I remember about him at the particular show was someone going, psst, 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 that guy's a YouTube star. Is he the one that complained that there wasn't enough vintage? Yes, he's also the one who used food dye in his uh, fountain pens. But um, aside from all of that, Yana Vent was there. I happened to say hi to her and... For those who are not Australian, Yana Vent is quite a famous newsreader in Australia. She was around. She came, visited, said hi to a lot of people who were there on the day. And yeah, for me, that was quite... um, It wasn't my first brush with Australian celebrities, if we can put it that way. Sharon's was connected, you guys. <laughs> but it was really nice to see them at an event that I cared so much about. Actually, for me, it felt like a blur because for once, it made me feel like um, a pilot Irishuzuku retailer because I was in the um, ink station oh, and so there were so many people I asking about, can I have you this ink? You, you looked swamped. I barely saw you that yes. day. I didn't even bother to go up to you. No, I think I might, like, scream at you if you come to talk to me. (laughs) Sorry. If someone comes up to you and asks about Yamabudo one more time. (laughs) Yes, I was trying to redirect people from all of the um, hipster inks. Yamabudo, Konpeki. Konpeki. Oh, Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, Dana, real real quick, what was in your Opus 88? What do you think? Uh, I mean, mean, it looks like a kind of purpley magenta. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, a bit crimson. (laughs) It's a little bit hipster. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit would be a huge understatement. It's Yamabudo. Yeah, that's that's our um, uh, fountain pen experiences, uh, facts or skills we've learned this year. Uh, Next uh, question from the same person. Let's take another run at it. I nene ye. We need a we need a phonetic. Yep. Um Fountain pen goals for next year. This can be a pen or let's be honest, pens you're chasing. A new direction for your collection, such as Russian vintage or even a big cull. Or maybe you're considering exploring new terrains, such as nib tuning, urban sketching, or ink making. What are our goals for next year? Let's start with. Brian. Okay, so after my five months dry spell, followed followed by torrential rains. Yes. I've managed to get, how many is that? Uh, Four pens that are in my actual collection, which was the Pilot Deluxe. So for next year, I'm going to continue that. And I don't think I'm going to divert too much. 
Except for if there are more Sailor Pro Gear Slims that I can collect. Boo. Sailor Pro Gear Slims? Boo. Blah, blah, yada, yada. They have 14 the... carat nibs? Boo. <laughs> Even though I'm riding with one right now, but boo. <laughs> but they have the most um, combinations of everything. They like... do. Don't get sucked into it, Ryan. Oh, my Don't. God. It's, it's a colorful plastic hole. and it's so pretty. I already, I already have like eight of those precious plastic <laughs> in my case so i think it's a bit late so next year i have planned to actually make it in time for one of the tokyo pen shows in march it's all booked i have no idea what i'm doing i've been told that it's all going to be taken care of is leo gonna be there pardon leo well, he's the one who's um, in charge of my itinerary, so I'm hoping he'll be he'll there. Be. I hope that I'll be in good hands, and I'm really ho- looking forward to trying to find... There's this duck ramen place that Leo keeps talking about that I just couldn't find last time I was in Japan. So I'm looking forward to visiting the duck ramen place. But aside from the duck ramen place, there are two pen shows that I will be in Tokyo in time for. I'm looking forward to that. On top of all of that... I am looking to cull down my collection to, fingers crossed, get below 100 pens. Lol. Oh, the two of you. Clap, 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 clap. Lol. <laughs> Join us on the other side. I we? know. I'm currently si- sitting at 164. So. Where are you sitting, Tay? I was at a very nice, like, 76 at the beginning of the year, not counting all of my Kakunos. And not counting your big Aurora splurge. So by the end of this year... Um, after my Aurora splurge, I think I'm at like 88. Okay. How That's a good Asian number to sit you? on. It's a, like <laughs> Something both, like both that. For, both for Asia and for Aurora. Yeah. It's a good number to sit on. Yeah. So I'm hoping to get below 100 because I have a number of pens that I own and I've actually just whipped two of them out to talk about later in one of the later um, questions that I've not inked for at least two years. It's been at least two years since I've inked one of them. So, yeah, I'd like to spend some time getting to know my pens a little bit more so and trying to keep it below the 100 mark. Goals for the year. I, at this stage, only have one uh, pen acquisition lined up. I have an Akaya on the way being being made. I believe it was going to take nine months to make, which will make it my baby. Um, Kudos to Aesthetic Bay. Correct. Um, and that will be arriving in May, it should be. My goal is to have the collection on lockdown until that one arrives. Like Sharon was saying, um, I want to do uh, more writing and sketching with my pens, which uh, I'm starting to do a bit more of. Um, and yeah, get to make more use of what I have uh, at the moment. I've been doing a thing where I will pick three pens that are inked and those will be the ones that I use until they're dry and rotating them out, which has been interesting to to do and to stick to. So that that's my my goals for the first half of next year and who knows what'll happen because the second half of this year i went from zero auroras to five auroras so this really was the year of aurora uh, diana wants to take over this year was the year of pilots for me um i think pilot was a brand that i overlooked for many years because the bodies they only came in this boring black and the nibs were interesting but the bodies were just I couldn't get over it for so long. And the naming system was hard for me to remember. I just kept getting confused. 
it's all the numbers that the, the you know the 743 the 742 the 845 which now I can rattle off the tongue but for ages I was like why do you do this to yourself, pilot? Just don't do it. Make it easier for me to What's identify your names. What's more memorable than alphanumeric naming systems? Yeah, I think it's different um, in the Asian market, to be honest. But this year, I really got into pilots in a big way. And next <coughs> year, custom Urushi. Yes, I, I love my custom Urushi. Holy hell, it's, it's a giant pen. It, it is, is a giant pen, it's but it's great. Really cool. Like when you I have open it up, here if you want to try it. When you open up your um, pen wallet, because it is also the Vermilion Arushi, it is the most <laughs> so iconic. It's just a bar of red. It's not that much bigger than the Opus 88 demo. The weird thing about it is as big as it is, it like weight and balance mm-hmm. are great. Yeah. yeah. And that nib. Oh, that nib. <laughs> I didn't lean on that because I knew you'd chime in. Yeah. But okay. So pilot this year. Next year, I... I, you can't really plan what you will get passionate about next, but I would love to, um, I think, experience more by way of vintage pens. And I'm hoping that if I do get to go to the Melbourne Pen Show, and listeners, by the time that you hear this episode, you will already have heard our Melbourne Pen Show episode. So you will know before I do whether or not I actually went to the show. And you will sit and nod knowingly. Yes. So if I do go to Melbourne Pen Show, um, I will try to focus my attention on the vintage pens that I know will be there because that's what the show is quite well known for. Yeah, I hope to learn more about it, to try more vintage pens. To date, I haven't really owned a lot of vintage because I think when I buy vintage online, they they tend to come with some sort of issues with them and I just can't be bothered to get them repaired or restored. I would like to try some vintage pens that have already been professionally restored. Who does that leave? This episode, we haven't been very procedural around the table. We've bounced around. It was the goal for the next few years, maybe not the rest of my life. Um, it's to expand my collection of Waterman 12s. So I have one in black chased rubber and one in marbled red. So I would like to start expanding that collection over the next few years, yeah. Um, Sebastian, what about you? We, we got- so Sebastian would like to expand his collection of squeaky frog toys. Sebastian hasn't been allowed near any pens because he's currently teething and he is in the I will chew anything stage. He's also got the puffy micro knife teeth stage. Everyone here has been a chew toy at some point today. We have scars to show for it. Uh, so this this one comes from Sharon and it is, uh, I'm going to direct this one to die first. The question is, uh, how much ink is enough in quotation marks? If you actually have to consider moving ink into the garage or buying a storage unit. Or perhaps creating a custom one. So at the point where <laughs> Diana is, or Brian. I think that that is definitely I don't have enough ink. <laughs> that's, that's enough. <laughs> enough is a function of your living space. So I don't think there is a, you know, objective how many bottles is enough. It's about how much room you have to store your the, ink. The goldfish grows to the size of the tank. Exactly. It's a matter of want. Doesn't matter <laughs> space. No, no, not space. for me. Uh, personally, I have the only ink I've gotten recently has been uh, a through a uh, winning a competition from Pilot and bottles that have arrived with other pens. So I recently got a jar of blue black and a jar of black from Aurora uh, that I will endeavor to use, but I, I have tried not to add to the bottles until I've drained bottles. That's me, but I'm on the, I live in a tiny share house in Enmore. 
and I don't have a, a huge amount of space to spread out with. So my living arrangements, as Di, Di said, uh, are different. Because I'm like, okay, if you're a collector, one of everything. And you will find the space no! for it if you want it enough. Okay. <laughs> um, but my answer for like practical ink use as someone who draws with the same ink clock is mm, 10 bottles ahead is how I plan yes 10 bottles of the same ink is how I plan so Aiden and Chrissy if you're listening your 10 bottles of Sultan and 10 bottles more than 10 bottles of Yamadori it's justified exactly perfectly I think I'm probably at under 16 maybe altogether oh my gosh I'm so jealous to maybe 18 bottles I think that's the most I I I thought you said 60 no, no. 16 Six, sounds very peasant. 16 to 18 60 is bottles. much more normal yeah. yeah that's me going oh this is a nice collar it is close enough to something I have I'm not going to do it so I actually put this question out because I have a bit of a ink problem a bit it's an a understatement bit? well it's actually not so much of an ink problem whereas I have an issue where I like having backups i'm so terrified that i'm going to run out of something that i really really like that i buy a backup and you know lo and behold i would never actually finish my original bottle let alone the backup and i'm left in this position where you know i have 350 something bottles of ink and i yeah i have 350 something bottles of ink of which only 200 and something maybe original colors have you opened all of these? No, of course okay. not. Don't be silly. Some of them are still sealed in their packages or some of them are still sealed in the wrapping that I got them in. Mint. Some of them are in bubble wrap still. Sure. Um, it's time to let go. <laughs> so one of the things that I consciously did this year was I tried to be very specific about which types of ink or which brands of ink I was buying. And in particular, I didn't want to be buying any boutique inks anymore. So things such as... um, uh, Louis Vuitton and Hermes? No, no, no. Not Louis Vuitton. KWZ. KWZ. Organic Studios. Organic Studios was the one that I was thinking about. So when everyone got onto the nitrogen... um, Royal Blue uh, hype train, I... Nitrogen Blue nitrogen blue that's this is how much i know about it um i actually stayed off it because i didn't particularly trust those inks in my pens and it's not that i don't want to try inks from boutique manufacturers anymore i frankly have run out of real estate the problem sharon is that even if you stick to one brand if that brand happens to be sailor <laughs> You're going to be amassing inks at a rate that you just cannot help. Yes, yeah, so that's that's the difficulty, right? Because yeah. I've tried to narrow down my entire collection to just a couple of brands and I'm only focusing slash maybe picking up inks from these couple of brands, which include Pelican, Pilot. Thank you, Pilot, for not coming out with new limited editions every single second day. Um, Sailor. Uh, Graf von Faber-Castell which I've actually slowed down on because again they decided that it was a good idea to come out with limited editions or new editions every second week Um, looking at you Electric Orange and then uh, Mont Blanc which I've also slowed down on quite a bit 
but those are the inks that I know will perform well and the characteristics of which I really quite enjoy in a pen. Whereas everything else, I'm kind of taking a bit of a gamble on it. Um, there's too much variability and I'm too old for variability. Rant over. Um, and anyone have any other words to say about too much ink? Um, I think same with your clothing. If you haven't been using it for the past six or one, six months or one year, then I think it's worth, it's worth to be um, chucked out or given away. No, that's my yes. entire collection. Exactly. You so should, You should do a version of, you should turn your ink bottles around when you So Conmari my them. ink bottles? Yeah. Yeah. You should, you should turn them around when you've used them. And if you haven't refilled with you. <laughs> There's a lot of there's a lot of emphatic head shaking. I have a spreadsheet for that, and I look. I gravitate towards the same inks all the time, and I know that about myself. So that goes on ninety percent of your collection. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, we have, we have another question uh, from Father Kyle, uh, and he has sent us a question asking for some self reflections on doing a full year of podcasting about pens. We've at this stage done a little over a year close to a year and a half but uh, it has been an interesting set of uh, events making making this podcast i did not consider myself a pen person starting this podcast we roped you in didn't correct, we correct correct i initially was only going to help script writing and those puns just kept on coming <laughs> here i am here getting I am. better and better here I am mourning the loss of a uh, pen by oh, buying no. two more. Uh, you aren't a proper pen collector yeah. unless you've mourned the yeah. loss of a pen. Yeah, but it's it's been interesting. And I, I, uh, I look forward to recording sessions and uh, checking in with people largely now, not, not just for the podcast itself, but for catching up with people that over the past year and a half um, I've developed uh, good friendships with. Uh, and that's me. Oh, that cheers, question. Chuck. We like you too. Yes. <laughs> I didn't say that. No. <laughs> um, gosh, last year of podcasting, it's been interesting, right? Um, I think it's been a, a venue through which we can meet a lot of people. Um, it's an excuse to talk with a lot of people and approach a lot of people on things that we probably never would have before. Um, you know, not just retailers, but makers, other bloggers, people in the community who we d usually just lurk. Now we can say, oh, you know, for the podcast, for the podcast, would you be interested in maybe having a discussion with us about this? And it's it's great on the personal level because you get to talk with a lot of really interesting people um, and meet these other collectors and share this interest and explore a different area of this interest um, with a wider range of people. And that's, I think, the best thing about it. People who may not even be local. I started, uh, Annabelle, who we interviewed. Yeah. I started talking with Annabelle on a whim and now talk to you pretty regularly. Uh, not even about pen-related things. So it's been really rewarding kind of creating that from a hobby-related relationship to just an interpersonal relationship yeah. and a friendship um, overseas. And Chuck, you're a creator in other areas of your life, right? You create music, you're involved in dance. I think it's a different level of involvement being a creator than just being an, um, someone who consumes yeah. the content. You talk to a wider range of people and you're more invested and you really have to be um, more active in developing relationships and... Um, you know, reaching out to people. That's something in my personality that I've had to get over. Um, I'm normally quite busy, so it 
I have to sort of psych myself up to, you know, I can reach out to someone because I know that holding that handout involves me um, really promising to give them my full attention um, when they choose to reach back. You know, it's like putting my phone number out there for someone, whether or not they want to pick it up or not. And that's not something that I'm comfortable in doing in my regular day. But for this, you know, it's it's something I'm working on. And... um, and when people are so generous with their time and their conversation and their knowledge and experience, it's so rewarding. I don't know how many of us would identify as extroverts. Not uh, me. Nope. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. So I, so, not I, so I often get this, um, usually disbelief when I express that um, I'm an introvert because I'm good at talking to people and part of my job is about talking to people. But I always put it like this, that if I'm worn down, I look for a room by myself. Mm. Uh, I think we're all like that. I, I think we're all like that. <laughs> yeah. And it, this, I think this community is funny in that you will find very excited introverts uh, <laughs> running across rooms <laughs> to see each other. Um, you know, particularly at like pen meets, you yeah. know, I've definitely been asked questions and been approached by people at pen meets who uh, listen to the podcast or whatever that have been very excited uh, about things that I, I, I was like, oh, I don't know you, man. Um, and, and working past that, it's, it's been an interesting year. Let's say uh, introvert fountain pen people become mediovert people when they yeah, get around. I, th- I think it, it's so comfortable. It's a particular atmosphere that it that creates, that it's almost like this uh, enthusiasm starts bursting out of them at this, <laughs> at this one particular topic. It's a matter of passion if you love it enough. Yeah. So the highlight for me was this year at the Sydney Pen Show, not to go too on, too much on about it. Um, the highlight for me was when someone actually came up to me completely out of the blue and said, hey, I don't know you, but I recognised your voice. I think that was me, you and Dai all yeah. talking to each other. Actually, yeah, it was. Um, Chuck, Dai and myself, we were talking about something and we must have just been complaining about something because when we get together outside of a recording place, it's usually to complain about something <laughs> it may have been about how poor the coffee was that morning or how Oof. everything was cold and we had to run for coffee on that day look the coffee run that morning was a uh, quite a debacle but aside from all of that we we were talking about something and someone came up to us and just interrupted us and said hey I don't actually know you guys, but I listen to you on my drive to work every single morning and I recognised your voices. Yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> I did think that was real funny. I appreciate it. I love that. I really, I never thought that would be something that someone would say to me and that that sort of encapsulated everything I felt about being a part of this podcast in the last year to be able to share all of my passions and to um, reach out to so many other people and express my opinions whether they're good bad whether you agree with them or not because I know a lot of people disagreed with my opinions on certain things how many people have you had to spank so far <laughs> no one's no one's PM'd me so far, but that may have just been because the filter on my uh, personal messages was quite high. But no one so far yet. To summarize regarding the pen community, my mom often asks, "What do you actually talk about in these pen meets? We talk How about pen. Even have arguments. No, that's I've uh, people that have I've mentioned this. Uh, I've I have to tell them. I'm like, you understand that? Like I I'm like moderating this 
I'm like, I have to try to keep it under an hour per But you have heaps of opinions, Chuck. I definitely do now. But if you compare, like if you compare early episodes, a lot of it is me queuing up people to talk. (laughs) I've really enjoyed just all the variety of interactions that we've had um, throughout this last year. The topics, the things we've had to think about the absolute panic we've had at certain episodes where we just go, oh my gosh, does anyone know I didn't prepare anything? anything. We didn't prepare. Does anyone know anything about this particular topic? <laughs> we won't tell you which episodes they refer to. We, we definitely start episodes where we're like, look, this is something that none of us know a lot about, but we have uh, to paper. provide we have to provide another side to this. Yeah, I, and that for me has been really interesting. And one of my favorite experiences has actually been Diana behind the scenes, who does so much research and puts so much into this podcast that people just don't even know. Yep. Where she sent us homework for one of the episodes. Um, it was the one where you couldn't stop talking about haptics, Chuck. <laughs> memory it was the, and it was the memory and handwrite it was the handwriting episode she said it was homework and I remember that particular week was like my busy season at work which meant that I was working about 14 16 hour days and on top of that she sent me what I think it was a dozen articles that we had to read before the podcast whereas I skimmed two articles and stopped on the page with the word that said haptics I read the articles in bed and I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure I passed out halfway through. I only every expected article. you guys to read the um the blurb. The abstracts. <laughs> the abstracts. <laughs> but your email said read these before I didn't expect you to actually follow my email instructions. Dan is telling people to get there at one so we can eat by two. It's, it's like. Yeah, but for me, that was almost like the epitome of everything that Diana does for this particular podcast. And one of <laughs> the oddest experiences. It was almost out of body for me. It was very surreal. I don't remember much about those articles. I love that episode. Than, <laughs> other than haptics and <laughs> the fact that handwriting really does make a difference to your memory. Because I read all of those articles. I read so many of those articles and I went to work the next four weeks talking about haptics to everyone. <laughs> you can ask my boss. All he will remember from those four weeks are me constantly talking about, well, you know, the haptics of this. But it, I actually, I found, I find this to be a great learning opportunity. I do learn a lot from both my fellow podcasters as well as from other people who contribute, the questions we get asked and the research we have to do. We do research, guys. We, we do. do. We, and we also have very very different like kind of backgrounds and um, tastes that, that collide in interesting ways. So I suppose uh, my, my summary for the full year of podcasting is uh, thank you, Di, for doing 75% of the work. <laughs> like, if you watch Sherlock, and if you know Mycroft, um, the one line that would describe Di would be, um, I'll be mother on that episode. I think the episode is called The Woman. Really? Okay. I will give my own quote back uh, if you watch a show called Black Sails. And I think it's something that Jack Rackham says to a bunch of unruly pirates. He says, if you need a daddy, I will be it. <laughs> so, so you're both a mommy and daddy. Yep. So uh, the next uh, question is from Paper Plate. Uh, and they ask us, uh, it seems like a few of you have extensive Japanese pen collections. Uh, it would be great to hear what some of your favorite pens are in each of your collections. Uh, I, I'm assuming from this question that we're limiting it to 
Does Sebastian have a favorite Japanese pen? Sebastian just wants more cuddles. Favorite pen, um, I'm assuming from the question from the Japanese uh, pen collection. I'm going to go with one from each of the big Japanese three. In my Nakaya collection, I love my long piccolo. Um, Hekitama Nori Haji Bush Clover with the music nib. I love the music nib from Nakaya. It's re- really the only Nakaya nib I really like, except for the soft medium. From Sailor, I think my favourite would probably be at the moment my um, King of Pens Ebonite with the King Eagle nib. Just you, you can't beat that nib or that body, to be honest. Um, How often do you use that nib? I ink it quite often, to be honest. Really? Yeah, it's, it's just fun. It's just fun to play with. And Pilots, which is probably the Japanese pen brand I use the most out of. Current favourite would be the... Hmm, Custom Urushi in red. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I really want nib. that pen. I really, as much as I love the Custom Urushi, I use the 845 a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got the fine nib. For me, I, I only have the one. I'm not going to split it between the three. If I've got to talk about a favorite pen from the Japanese collections that I've got, it's the 823. Is that with a falcon nib? Yeah, well, mine... No, he's got a fine nib on it now. He's no, no, a medium. Medium. He, he swapped with Alistair. I did swap I don't with know how Alistair to feel from about Melbourne. That. I swapped with Alistair from Melbourne who, his 845, uh, I think, oh, what's in this one? I believe it's Yamabuto. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what do you have against Yamabuto, Brian? I don't know. I have things against everything that everyone likes. and then If it's too pe- popular, then you don't no, like it. No, <laughs> the, the thing is, it's if it's popular and if it's great, it's fine. But then again, when people actually jump on the wagon and then they, they don't... Yamabuto actu- is great. No, if, if they don't have a background opinion about the thing that they like, then... I have a problem with that. Brian's response is, um, oh, you like Yamabuto? Oh, you love Yamabuto? Name three of their albums. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to see my fountain pen credentials, Brian? (laughs) Okay, I actually went and dug around in my study slash my built-in wardrobe to find these two pens. There's there's another two, but I can't find them. favorite pens in my Japanese pen collection and now I know you're all expecting me to talk about Nakayas and I've talked about Nakayas at length in prior episodes but today I'm talking about Namiki Yukaris which are my absolute favorite Namiki model. Where is your skyline? It's not a skyline, it's called a nightline. It's on my uh, fountain pen goals for next year if you'd been paying attention. Um, so the Yukari is actually my favorite uh, Japanese pen model. It, there's something about it. The balance of it, it's a brass body. It's got Urushi lacquer on top. I happen to really like the Raden designs that they do. I have four Namiki Yukaris, actually. I have the Yozakura, which is the floating Sakura, the Hydrangea, and the Herb Decoration. And I have my eye on the Firefly, the Nightline, and the Galaxy for next year. Because these, for me, they're just really reliable writers. The nibs are great out of the box. Um, The designs, I'm a real sucker for anything that's got iridescence to it. And it's sparkly and quite shiny and colourful. And the Maki is really nice. So for me, these are pretty much 
the, I won't say they're the top of the range, but they're the ones for me that seem to hit every single requirement that I want out of a particular pen. The only thing that would make these Namiki Yukaris any better is if they had an Urushi clip. But aside from that, I'm pretty happy with these. Um, my favorite one is the Hydrangea because one, I love Hydrangeas. Two, this pen is just cool. Uh, next we have Tiny Badge who is asking us uh, what sub $50 fountain pens can you all recommend? I'm going to answer this very quickly. Pilot Kakuno, Pilot Petite, Pilot Prera. <laughs> is there any else? Twisby Eco. I'm going to get it in before anyone else says it. Uh, the Kaveco Classic Sport or Skyline. I am going to go for the Kakuno for this one because I think the Prera normally sits above it unless you're you're looking around, and also it's uh, part of the part of the podcast lore now, guys. Yeah. So other yes. than the Kakuno, I really do have to give a shout out for the Eco because the Eco is freaking fantastic. It is. It it's has just a so huge ugly. Incapacity. What do you mean it's ugly? <laughs> What's the price of the Twisby? It's definitely under fifty. The Twisby Go is cheaper than the Eco, but the Eco in transparent blue. That blue oh, on the Oh, the new ends. one that came out? That is, oh. I, I like it. I like it a lot. And then there's also the new Blossom Red, which I've seen photos of. I want to see it in real life. I think I prefer the full clear one. It's so I simple. Mean, I mean, I would like to see like a kind of maybe like an amber transparency uh, for, you know. Not biased at all, are yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Nothing about the Twisby aesthetic really appeals to me. Uh, so Sharon's got a question which we'll uh, pitch all around the table. Uh, and it's, what is your biggest fountain pen surprise and biggest disappointment this year? Uh, I'm, Melissa looks like she wants to start this one off. Super easy for me because surprise was nothing at all interested me this year. Nothing. 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 Oh, that's a surprise. Haha. <laughs> no, there was no inks that I felt swayed to purchase and definitely no pens. That I felt fit in with my current collection or aesthetic. Is that also your disappointment? Yeah, at the same time, it's I, I love this community. I love purchasing new things. And the fact that I couldn't find anything to buy this year. 20, 2018 wasn't the I'm year. I'm very quiet. I'm a lurker in the fountain pen community. Yeah. So on FPO, I see everything that you post, but I just don't comment on it. Yeah. Tell you what, Melissa did show up to the dance event that I emceed for three days. That was brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> that was a surprise. <laughs> that was your Stage. biggest surprise. Uh, well, no, well, that's not my biggest surprise. Uh, my biggest disappointment is losing a romance. Oh, too soon, too soon, mate, too soon. Which is a pretty significant um, disappointment. Chuck, I think you have to put like three pieces of joystick on a praying table to mourn for that thing. Oh, <laughs> we're going to do we're going to do full yeah, I'll I'll call all of my aunts and um we'll pray the rosary. No, my biggest surprise I suppose was like I'd always sat around um Japanese uh pens uh from last year from starting through to the beginning of this year and then in the second half of this year I mentioned before I went from no auroras to five auroras. Uh, so it turns out that the 2018 to 2019 financial year is an Aurora year. And they've they've been the biggest surprise is how much that I turn out liking that company. We will find a yellow SD DuPont for you yet. SD oh, DuPont. yes. Does um, gold suit your color scheme? Uh, yeah, well, the, that, the Nakaya that's coming is the uh, Chinkin uh, Hosoge in the long piccolo. Um, with a, an Arushi clip um, that oh. I asked for. But yeah, those, those are mine. Um, otherwise, 
Otherwise, uh, it was a. We're going around the table, Sebastian. So we'll get to you. Um, otherwise, it seems like uh, it was a pretty enjoyable year. Uh, Brian, mm, can I have two big surprises? Sure. Uh, one of my <laughs> biggest surprises is that um, early in this year, I went to Japan and then bought a Morita. Progia Slim again, yes, the 14 carat. Um, and I actually bought it in the bold. Um, I think I've started to like broader nibs nowadays. <laughs> I know. Um, I've been picking that pen almost every other day at the office, although I have 25 pens inked. Um, yeah, so that's one of them. Uh, the other one is the rolled gold deluxe pilot that I purchased not a month ago that was featured in episode 33. I purchased that with, it's it's sub $200. And after I actually um, inspected it closer, it actually has the code R14K, which means that it's actual 14 karat gold rolled onto the body. And considering the price, I did not expect that. So that was my second surprise. It actually has real gold onto the body. My biggest surprise um, was probably discovering after several years of thinking that pilots were overrated that pilots, they're worth the hype, guys. They, they justify the hype. <laughs> um, pilots make really great pens and more importantly, they make really, really nice nibs. Biggest disappointment. I don't know that I've had any disappointments, really. If I don't get to go to the Melbourne Pen Show, that will be a disappointment. And I, I haven't made any purchases um, that were really disappointing. Um, I think I've been pretty judicious this year in what I've been collecting. Maybe I was disappointed in the direction that Sailor has decided to take with its inks. And the price of the new specialty nibs. Exactly. Um, but, you know, that's... That's the way of the world, I guess, and um, the general direction that the big brands are going in. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with how this year went. Sorry, I didn't add my disappointment. I hope that my wife isn't listening to this podcast. <laughs> my biggest disappointment is that I didn't go to Japan on my own. So, well, can, How do you audibly convey pulling at the neck of your T-shirt? <laughs> Hey, Brian, I'm going to Japan next year. Do you want to come with? I wish I could. I need to find a good reason why I can go to Japan alone. Yeah, I, I only got one pen out of that trip. If you consider Kakunos as pens, then I got... Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, we do, we do. So harsh. that means you got 20 Kakunos. Well, thereabouts. But then again, in all seriousness, I only got one serious pen out of that trip, which was... So Brian got 21 pens during that no, no, trip. That was no, more than me. He said he only got one serious pen, which means all the Kakunos he got have the tongues out, right? Because we know that... <laughs> A very frivolous pen. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I, wish I actually go... I. It's still on my wish list to go to Japan on my own for like a month. Well, you know, I am heading over there next year. You're going so. with Liao. Oh, actually, that'd be even better. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Traveling with other fountain pen people is the best. Hexic. <laughs> I think that leaves us with you, Sharon. My biggest fountain pen surprise this year was that it was not a fountain pen. I got into glass nib pens this year. Ooh. 
which uh, it was quite a no. I I'm so say embarrassed that. for you, Sharon. Wow, that the the those words cut me. Judging deep. you, <laughs> those, that one around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one right here. Um, so this one I talked about last time, which was a custom job slash hack job by a fellow in our Hong Kong pen community called Simon. Uh, shout out to Simon. I've actually never met him before but I, I like this well yeah because it's a it's frankly a really really nice pen i don't know what he does i think he just slaps a whole bunch of o-rings onto a glass nib shoves it into a body yeah it looks like four o-rings makes sure that it's a demonstrator body because it looks pretty damn impressive yeah so i'm branching out aside from just plain um fountain pens like the gold nibs and whatnot so this for me this year was a real surprise because I'd heard horror stories about the Wink pen, which was a glass nib pen in a refillable fountain pen body. But this was a real eye-opener. And not only this, I have another one from uh, Ya Ching Style and Joe Vitolo actually did a review of the Ya Ching Style ones, which have a slightly different glass nib to it. There's more out there than fountain pens, guys. <laughs> there are different nib tips thingies that really work that pen was actually uh, a good thing to write with yeah, yeah, yeah this this glass nib pen is just frankly it's been a daily use pen since i've gotten it it's just it's it's been fantastic yeah. i which, really like which it. leads us to our spin-off series at the glass nib section yeah, launching glass. 2019 so um yeah, I think this year it was really, for me, it was branching out beyond just your traditional fountain pens and trying out some different things, uh, custom nibs, um, different bodies, unique ideas that people have been thinking about, have been trialling out. This glass nib, for me, was an absolute eye-opener and absolutely love it. Um, and my biggest disappointment this year, and yes, I know I, I will come out sounding like an absolute broken record, but... Visconti went kaput this year and Panida came out and Panida's no better than Visconti. In my opinion... In you my, can't see me, but I'm nodding vigorously. In my most humble opinion, I had great hopes for Panida when they came out and I haven't seen a single thing that's really interested me. Uh, Visconti, the changes that have happened to Visconti since uh, Dante Del Vecchio left... I think Visconti's gone a little bit downhill. I'm not a big fan of their new steel nibs, the design. It just doesn't – it doesn't have the Visconti flair about They're them anymore. They're just making new variations of their Homo sapien. And do you know what's really disappointing? Their original Van Goghs were so good. The original I gold really nib Van Goghs. I really do like the uh, – not even – well, like even the steel nib ones. I just like those oh, Van The Goghs. original ones were so much nicer. They're very round, very traditional cigar-shaped with interesting acrylic finishes. And they had the, the screw-in um, cap. Yes, and they had the screw-on cap. None of that stupid hook latch system thing in my body. Or the magnet ones. Yes, so shout out to the guy who actually PM'd me um, offline about my uh, hook latch system issue. It's unfixable, unfortunately. And you still have that pen? I do indeed. We're going to do a bonfire one day. <laughs> That's your, uh, what's the... 100, uh, 100th episode. We will record that. We will videotape it for the yeah. podcast. Can 100th episode. be present on that 
episode, please? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What's what's the sword that hangs over the sword of Damascus? Yeah, yeah it's your sword of Damascus. <laughs> um, Damocles. Dam- uh, da- da- yeah, yeah, yeah. What's no. Damascus, Damascus then? Damascus. <laughs> In my defense, we had a bit to drink. Um, Four bottles. Visconti has been my, not Visconti, Penida actually was my biggest disappointment this year. I had a lot of high hopes um, for Penida. <laughs> but um, yeah, nothing that's really come up. And I will point it, put in here as an unexpected surprise this year, Opus, Opus 88. I've seen a lot about them. I've just tried one. It feels really nice to hold. Have you tried the Calora yet? I have not, but I will do so now. And then I can come back and definitively say that I think Opus 88 is a surprise for this year. I feel like I need one of those demonstrator with a black um, trim. I don't think they come with black trims, do they? The one that you have. That doesn't have black trim. Oh, yeah, it does. That one has black clips and everything. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does have (laughs) a black clip. clip. I think I want yeah. You have so many pens, you don't remember what they look like anymore. I don't. I've only had this for a few days. Mm-hmm. Do you even consider them a pen? Um, the Coloros and the Opus 88s. No. Okay, edit. I have actually now tried one of these Coloros and I'm going to get one. They're really nice, right? But I need one with a gold nib, so <laughs> we're going to have to figure out how that works. We'll, we'll figure out a substitute. Well, um, that's been a, an around-the-table uh, look at our year, uh, both in pens and uh, our little over a year in podcasting. This is like our version of the BYOB pen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we drink it's, a lot. It's, it's like a wrap-up, but it's a pen wrap-up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that joke works better uh, written down than, than spoken. But uh, A pen wrap? Yeah, pen wrap, comma, up. up. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that's uh, that's us for the year. I want to thank everybody that's been listening. Um, I am consistently surprised by the number of listeners we have and the people that chime in and um, you know interact with the podcast. We are happy to hear from all of you. Our listeners are awesome. Yeah. Yes, thank you all. Really, uh, really interested and uh, happy to reach out to us. Uh, we hope to get you a lot of uh, new content uh, next year. Yeah, we have a lot of guests lined up. It's all about finding the right time. Correct, that we do. Uh, which takes us to the end of year uh, recommendation section, where we're going to recommend things that we like that may or may not be fountain pen related. Okay, let's start with Melissa. Okay, I think we all know I have more of an artistic bent with my recommendations. So my recommendations is actually the Muddy Colors website, which is a collective of artists that post a lot of resources for all sorts of scopes and skill levels from beginners to professionals. So if you are all interested in the urban sketching um, from the Sydney Pen Show or the interview with Liz Steele, they have a lot of posts about things like foundational light, composition, all those sorts of things. Um, it was founded by Dan Docentes and it has contributors such as Donato Giancola, who is amazing, and Vanessa Lemon. So it's well worth a look. Great stuff. Um, I, I have a recommendation. Uh, two years ago, um, I bought a pair of pants from a New York uh, store and they originally started making pants for cyclists to uh, wear when riding to and from work and at work. And the idea was that you could get caught in the rain and after half an hour, you would still be dry. I bought one not for the purposes of getting caught in the rain um, or for consuming pina coladas, but um, I 
bought them uh, because they test them at a like a they test all of the fabric they use uh, with a friction machine, and so they run it through X amount of cycles. And if there's you expect any, a lot of chaffing to be yeah free. yeah, if there's any fraying, uh, then they don't use that fabric uh, at all. Um, and it is consistently after two years uh, my favorite pair of pants. I will only any pants that are now ruined will only be replaced by this brand. They don't have an official lifetime guarantee because I think they had people working overtime to try and exploit that. But what they do have, they consider it case by case. Uh, regardless of which, it's uh, the company is Outlier NYC, uh, O-U-T-L-I-E-R NYC. Isn't that just pronounced outlier? Yeah, yeah, I think, but it's like Atelier, like that, that sort of okay. situation. Um, but they have uh, two pairs of pants, which I'll recommend. Uh, they are the Slim Dungarees and the Dungarees. And I have one pair and slowly I will replace all of my pants with these. Uh, I thoroughly recommend these. Okay. Um, my recommendation is for the party season. More bubbles. This episode is... Well, Sponsored. Okay. <laughs> Sponsored by Aris. Um, no. It's not really, it's but not. Aris, it's if you want to contact me, please sponsor me. <laughs> We've drunk like almost four bottles of your wine. We today. did. <laughs> we On are air. four bottles down. On air for all of it. It's not like we pre-gamed either. So this episode is being released on the 21st of December. So many of you probably already had Christmas parties by now, but for the Christmas parties and the New Year's Eve parties to come, my recommendation is be kind to your feet and wear comfy shoes to your parties. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't have to wear sky high heels with your party dresses. You're just going to regret it at the end of the night. Don't do it to yourself. Wear flats, wear like slight heels, like a one inch heel. Wear um, platforms if you really like them. I don't, I'm not it a big just fan of platforms. Like wedge, wedge, I believe Melissa's trying to <laughs> cut in with. Wear a wedge if you like, but um, be sensible with your party season um, footwear. You can wear flat or semi-flat shoes with anything. They go with pantsuits. They go with cocktail dresses. You can wear gowns over them. You don't have to limit yourself to stilettos. Spoken like someone who's not five foot one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm five foot four, okay? So I'm five foot one, believe me. Those three inches make a lot of difference. <laughs> okay, if you're not Sharon, <laughs> uh, yeah, just do it for yourself. And, you know, I look at it from the point of view of if you're caught in the rain and you have to run for a taxi in your shoes, you don't want to be caught in a situation where you have to take off your shoes, run with your bare feet on this filthy um, city sidewalk. I thought that's very Australian. It is very Australian, but I, I hate it. <laughs> don't do it. In Australia, it's Australia, uh, white people will leave their shoes on in the house, but take them off in the city. It's, it's lunacy. Um, <laughs> That is so true. Yeah, um, but if you are if you are caught in the rain and you have to take your shoes off, then be wearing outlier pants, slim dungarees. <laughs> to your New Year's Eve parties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my recommendation: <laughs> comfy party shoes. That's a that's a very unique recommendation. And if I were to tack on to the end of your recommendation, may I recommend some Haviana uh, flip flops because I wear them pretty much everywhere and they fit in a really nice purse. There's also vending machines for them. Yes, absolutely. But that was not my actual recommendation. My recommendation, in case you guys haven't heard because you guys hear everything about my life these days, not only have I moved, I have gotten a puppy. His name's Sebastian. He is four and a half months, five months old. 
when this five, almost six months old when this um, podcast will be released. He is a Papillon puppy and he currently, and because I don't own a car, I, I don't, I don't own a car because it's not safe for me to drive on the roads. I get my dog food delivered and I would highly recommend petcircle.com.au which does auto delivery of pet food. And they have pretty much all of your major brands on there. Um, Sebastian eats Ivory Coat and he's a big fan of Ivory Coat, but he will eat pretty much anything, including your toes at this stage. Lemon eats Royal Cannon. Uh, I've gone with Ivory Coat because it's all Australian, natural, grain-free and has a really great puppy formula that Sebastian absolutely loves and he will perform tricks for Ivory Coat. Lance likes Black Hawk grain-free. Yeah, so Sebastian is on Ivory Coat. He, uh, My other dog, uh, Brewster, is on Advance. But um, Ivory Coat has worked really, really well for us, actually. It smells really nice, too. All right. Brian, w- would you like to round out uh, the year with uh, with your recommendation? Since it's the end of the year, can I have an anti-rec? Sure. <laughs> I was surprised that no one did one, actually. you got to end the year on a low note. No, no, no. I have both. Okay. All right. One is good. The anti-rec, so we end with a happy ending, like every fairy tale. I love ending with a happy ending. Uh, no, I, I hate it. <laughs> Brian, I believe you were saying something. <laughs> Um, okay, I don't know if I've said this before. Um, Antirex, r- super cheap pens, like Gin House and the group. If you could hold yourselves against buying those, and you, you could have bought something a bit nicer that could last like at least five years, and you would actually love yourself for it. That's my anti-rec. Don't buy. You are cheap such a snob. Pen. I am not. Stop saying <laughs> you that. You are. It doesn't make it true. But if you think about it, you're going to realize that it's actually true. Anyways, on the recommendation section, um, I haven't been using my um, sharpening stone for knives for a while. And um, since my trip to Japan, I got a P1000, so a 1000 grit sharpening stone for my knives. And that's essentially the thing that you need in your house if you actually care about your knives. But since it's the end of the year and you'll be cooking your Christmas and um, New Year's Eve dinners, uh, a good knife is kind of nice to have. Yeah, so take care of your knives. And if you need to buy a sharpening stone instead of using that instant knife sharpener, which is devil. Oof, no, thank um, you. Yeah, so just get a 1000 grit knife sharpener and you'll be set for like at least 10 years or so. It's sublime. My knives are super sharp and I actually enjoy cooking more now. Well, that's the, uh, that's the year with the nib section uh, rounding off. Um, we've got a full table here uh, in New Digs uh, with Sharon. So Sharon, thank you very much for uh, giving us uh, your place uh, for, the, for the day. And, uh, and the bubbly. Thanks for, and the bubbly. Uh, thanks for coming, everyone. Thanks for consuming Bubbles, House of Arras. I'm still open for sponsorship. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Melissa, for joining us. My pleasure, especially since I got to pat Seb for most of it. So M- Melissa gets mentioned in every episode, but isn't present for every episode. Uh, mm. being she lurks in every episode. Yeah, she gets thanked for, uh, for our logo for every time. Uh, thank you, Brian, for uh, joining us. Uh, Brian and Sharon, probably our chief hot take dispensers um, <laughs> for the episodes. Thank you, thank you. Um, 
is it appropriate to say uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year? Yeah, sure. I, th- I think it's, it's, this will be released right before, right? So, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas. What have I forgotten? Happy Boxing Day sales. <laughs> uh, I'm... <laughs> I'm at the hospital from the 24th to the 27th oh, this thing. year. Happy working. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But apparently the hospitals are quite deserted except for drunk people uh, around that time. So we don't have an emergency department, so which is great for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to say ED gets yeah, a bit yeah. crazy. Yeah, no and ED, so which is you, great like, for us. So you get cupcakes and yeah, you drink. Yeah, so I've, I volunteer to work uh, the Christmas period uh, so that uh, the members of the team that have uh, kids yeah. can uh, go see them. And also, so I get New Year's uh, Eve and day off so I can go be a hooligan. Um, yeah, but uh, which brings us to uh, Diana. Uh, thank you very much for doing the uh, lion's share of the work throughout the year. And uh, we, we help out where we can, but uh, we couldn't do the show without you. Thank you very Everyone's much. Everyone's clapping. Oh, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being um, so smart and... Um, optimistic Clever. and positive and really fun. She's looking on the in podcast. the mirror while she says this. <laughs> I yeah, love is your computer you all. Off? <laughs> I love you all. And um, here's to another year of the podcast. Thanks, everyone. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, once again, my name is Chuck Montano, and uh, we will be putting new content out to you guys soon, and we'll hear from you next year. Until next time, listeners, ink well. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, or feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Chuck Montano, Sharon Zah, and Diana Dai. Recording and editing done by Diana Dai. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening.